0: Welcome back to the Remedial Film Class Podcast. I'm your host, Dan.
1: And I'm Travis.
2: And I'm George. George.
0: And George George. is stuck between a rock and a hatred for Nicolas Cage. Dudes, (laughs) we made George watch a Nicolas Cage movie. Oops. Let's see how that went.
2: It's okay, because I finally got to see a movie with Sean Connery. That's right.
0: Yeah, we had a lot of first appearances on the show tonight with 1996's excellent... The Rock. I guess I shouldn't judge it as excellent until we hear from George, but I mean, how could you not love this movie? George, Actually, wanna not love this movie? I wanted
2: to hear from you guys first this time. How much do you guys love this movie? Well, I have to say. Oh, th- no. There's a, this movie
1: is like the pinnacle of working at the movie theater and watching blockbuster films. Like, I mean, I probably watched this movie about 15, 20 times in the theater. Not because it was great, but it was great. (laughs) Like, there's just a lot of great stuff in this. It's a a quintessential Michael Bay movie. I'm a fan of Michael Bay. I know he's obnoxious to some people, and I know he's, like, self-overindulgent, some people will say. But I enjoy his movies for what they are. Are they Shakespeare? No. Are they Godfather? Absolutely not. But they are fun.
0: So, one thing that's happened recently, George, is Michael Bay has come, I think, almost full circle as a filmmaker. In the early to mid 90s, when he came out of making TV commercials and went into making blockbuster films, he was on top of the world. And then everybody got kind of bored of what was the staple of like 91, 92 to 98 or so this run of blockbusters that are just increasingly big. Increasingly detached from reality, but Mm. each one kind of in its own unique, you know, individual standalone universe in which it may not correspond to the actual reality, but within the reality of the film, they generally follow, you know, some kind of realistic bent. Um, Nowadays, thanks to mostly the Marvel movies, but this kind of glut of superhero movies that everybody loves to either hate on or defend against the haters. When Michael Bay makes a movie now, people look at it from a critical standpoint and go, you know, this guy's not as horrible as we said he was. Mm-hmm. And so what? it's fun now to, in, the, in this exact moment, to go back to what is probably my favorite movie of his mm-hmm. and judge it critically, uh, not just from its own time, but, you know, in today's view of what makes a blockbuster movie. Visually,
1: I'd have to say Pearl Harbor is my favorite if you take out all the mushy love stuff.
0: Well, and that's the thing, a lot of that movie is yeah. the mushy love stuff. I know, but the
1: if I pop that DVD in, I usually start it right when the planes are when the Japanese planes are flying towards the the harbor. Like it's just it's epic. It's you feel it's almost like Saving Private Ryan epic feel war movie if you take out the Ben Affleck love BS. That's how
2: the very very beginning of this movie felt. Felt
0: hold like, on, what? hold on, hold on,
2: hold on. Felt like just the very, just <laughs> the very, very, very beginning. I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be a war movie. It's going to be serious.
1: It had a few good men kind of feel. And but then, that,
2: like, that lasted for about 15 seconds. Yeah.
1: Well, they had to establish uh, a 90s version of M.O.
2: Okay,
0: but you didn't think <laughs> yeah. that it was going to be a, a mushy, like, love story from the beginning. No, I thought yeah. it was going to be a serious
2: okay. war movie.
0: Yeah. yeah, and for, I mean, that opening scene is, is visual poetry. I mean, I don't know that you could sustain that for much longer than they did, but you know, between the set design and the rain and his yeah. like little monologue to his dead wife, like, dude, that's some, that's some good stuff. Put yeah. that yeah. into my veins or at least DVD player.
1: Yeah. It, it it What kept popping in my head was when you were talking about Manhunter and the, every shot is like a painting and it's like, that's, when I think of that, I think of these kind of movies where it's just like everything. Even if the guy's going to the bathroom, it's sprawling. It's, well, and the lighting is always so good. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's a well-lit <laughs> like he, I know he's pistreen. pissing. But. <laughs> but yeah, like the rain coming down, all all that stuff is like, it, it's funny you brought up the Marvel movies because back in the 90s, superhero movies were kind of uh, not respected. They, yeah, they, they, you they're know, s- they're still not respected. Well, they're a little bit more respected. Back in the 90s, they, the technology wasn't there, so you have like a Spawn or... Blade was pretty good, but like the Spawn movies, the Batman movies, like all those movies kind of tried to do the superhero thing, but it felt weird because it was real people. Michael Bay movies were able to do that, even though it's outlandish and ridiculous and people are hanging from their pinkies and they're trying to save the world without their pants on. like It's ridiculous situations, but it's at least done well enough to where you're like, okay, I'm buying into this superhero situation, and I don't feel like I'm a child watching it.
0: Well, and that's one thing that it's hard to get across without showing George another 15 movies. Right. But in a lot of ways, from a 90s perspective, George, The Rock, are you ready for this? is pretty Mm -hmm. grounded. Yeah. Okay. Think of
1: like the Fast and the Furious movies, but like the cars can like climb walls and shit. (laughs) Well, and not even from the superhero
0: perspective, but I mean, if you look at action movies from, let's say like 75 through 85, you've got this, you know, increasingly first blood, one man against a large army type things. But then the 80s come and you start getting stuff like Commando, mm-hmm. where it's literally one man against an entire army, right? And then you get stuff from the Steven Seagal era, where it's more grounded in some ways, but then like, you have to believe that like some of this karate stuff is actually going to work against like Kane Hodder and all the other stuntmen.
1: Or Roadhouse. And or then Patrick you come Swayze up on a
0: badass. The Rock, where really... <laughs> Aside from you know, me not being able to fact-check the nerve toxin and whether that's right. a realistic way to use a nerve toxin, uh, and the fact that I, I read a few weeks ago that the glass beads thing is all made up, that you'd never put this kind of toxin in glass, but it certainly makes a more dramatic third act. Dramatic, yeah. Other than that, it's kind of not that far from like a Tom Clancy movie, really. It's right. just fancier.
1: You're right. It's like they... They were like, All right, let's take a Tom Clancy movie and just kind of uh, fun it, up, a it bit. up, fun it up a bit, yeah. Kind of like Jason Bourne. Like the Jason Bourne movies were a good mix of the '90s action and the Tom Clancy like thriller type. Did you ever watch those the Jason Bourne movies?
2: Uh, yeah, when they came out a long time yeah. ago. This
1: and I, I guess, Bad Boys would be kind of up there with my Michael Bay catalog.
0: Bad Boys 2 is maybe my favorite movie aside from Wayne's World. Yeah. To just put on at any time of day and love it.
1: Yeah, they're good characters. They could put them in 10 movies. It's kind of like Lethal Weapon. I could watch 10 of those and be fine with it.
0: So, George, how are you doing? I need to know, before we go any further, though, you're kind of known amongst our listenership for not being one to read the credits. (laughs) When did you find out that Nicolas Cage was in this movie? Uh, In the opening credits. Damn it.
1: Damn. You're not
0: even going to reprimand him?
1: So it wasn't when he was cocking that dart gun and shooting a piece of paper? No. So you were in on it.
0: See, and I had a note on here. Did George (laughs) read Cage's name in the credits? Ugh, he did. Damn it. Hey, so here's the thing. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and I don't know if Travis is going to come out with me on the same limb. Nicolas Cage is really good in this movie. Mhm.
1: He's very subdued. This is before uh he goes off the deep end.
0: Yeah, this is his like Pacino in Heat. Like, yeah, he's got one line that's like a little exaggerated.
1: But is that the one I did earlier
0: yeah, cut the chit chat, a hole. Yeah, I mean, other than the a hole line, <laughs> right? Which yeah, comes at a very like kind of warm and fuzzy moment. He just cuts the cuts that feeling right out of the movie with the a hole line. Great asshole. For the most part, uh, he's really good in this, and I like him a lot, George. Well, tell I think us the about Nicholas Cage.
2: He was terrible. And in this movie in that movie. you just yeah. watched? <laughs> yeah, dude. He's Nicolas Cage in every movie. See, I think. He acts the same way. It doesn't matter what his character is. How many Nicolas like Cage Nicolas movies Cage. have you seen, George? Yeah. I don't know, like three. What one? Four. <laughs> uh, I saw, I saw Face Off, and I saw two National Treasure movies, and I saw this one. What's
1: funny is Face Off is actually one, a movie where he's actually acting in.
0: Because, because he's trying to be Travolta, right?
1: Yeah, he's trying to be Travolta and when when he's being Travolta as was was it a what's the name of the character? The the bad guy. Um Casper or something like I can't remember what his name.
2: No, was. I don't remember. I I saw it a long 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 time ago like I was like I I was a kid. It was a long time he ago. He definitely
1: got the direction to you know play it up.
2: Yeah, but when I saw it, I didn't I my hate for Nicolas Cage did not start the first movie I saw, which right. was Face Off. Okay, it started um, Honeymoon in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> no, it started with like National Treasure. Okay, it was just terrible. Sounds like so, first nat-
1: The first natural, National
2: Treasure was
0: okay. Here's was like the, the one problem, did. George, and I think we need to explore this more uh, as the show goes on. But by your explanation for your feelings towards Nicolas Cage. You should hate, and I mean with a capital H, Al Pacino.
3: Hmm.
0: Like, you should look at Al Pacino in The Godfather and be like, you know what? He's the same in every movie. I mean, granted, he's not the same in this movie, but he's the same in all those other movies, so he must be the same in all movies. Therefore, I hate Al Pacino. That is how you should feel, if you feel that way about Nick Cage. I don't
2: think it's that, but the, the fact that he doesn't, that he he doesn't change with his character right he's he is nicolas cage no matter what character he's playing it's it's not that he acts the same way for every character that does annoy me but what most annoys me is that he acts like nicolas cage <laughs> which makes the new movie pretty good that's a good <laughs> idea that he's playing himself it's so dumb <laughs> we're watching we we went to see uh the batman a couple weeks ago as you as you know and that preview was played before the movie. The new it Nicolas Cage good. movie where Nicolas Cage plays Nicolas Cage. Ah, <laughs> uh, Shoot me in the head. Uh, well, in
0: a vacuum, I would argue that his performance in this movie is really, really good. Probably his best performance that I've seen in any kind of action set piece movie. Although I do really like him in the movie Kick-Ass. Yes, but that is a completely different beast that you're you not ready really for. You know it's him.
2: But the difference between um, between Cage and Pacino is that, yes, Pacino plays the same, you know, a- he acts the same character in all of his movies, but all of his movies kind of call for that character, and when Pacino plays that character, it it doesn't make my skin crawl. Right. It's just Nicholas Cage's character that he acts in every movie. Makes Miss skin crawl. Gotcha. So wow. Yeah. Well, at least
0: you had Ed Harris in this movie, holding it down. This was the first Ed Harris movie I saw, and immediately, really? lifetime fan.
2: Oh God. Which uh, which character was Ed Harris? He's the bad guy, the the, the big bad, bad, bad. the main guy. Oh yeah, he was good. He's great in everything. And yeah, he's I've, been seen, for, I've seen ever. him. I've seen him before in other things. He's good. Yeah, he goes back to like, God, six late sixties,
1: I guess, early
0: seventies. The earliest thing I've seen him in was Night Riders, which is okay. like seventy-nine, eighty, somewhere in there. And he was in the right stuff. Oh, and John C. McGinley is here. And we just saw him on something. Was it he wasn't in heat, right? Where was he?
1: Uh no, he's in and he's heat? in seven.
0: Oh, he's the SWAT
1: guy in seven. He's he's uh yeah, uh, California. He's the he's the helicopter pilot. California, stay away from here. Yeah, we just... Somebody him. call somebody! He's the guy who says my favorite line in the movie. <laughs> somebody call somebody! Like, who says that?
0: <laughs> but yeah, he's a hell of uh, an actor, too. And David uh, does Morris. a good
1: job. David Morris is awesome in this.
0: And which he one played... is David Morris?
1: David Morris is... He's the... You hate him because he's in 12 Monkeys. He plays the guy that infects... Uh, brings the virus onto the airplane. In this movie, he's this, the the second in command, I think.
0: Oh, like the oh, the yeah. second bad,
1: yeah, the one who's like just loyal to the end, yeah. And Tony Todd, Tony Todd.
0: Don't, now, don't George, did you again. catch? Did you catch Tony <laughs> Todd as in the? Oh no, I think we get five with Tony Todd. Actually, <laughs> we get five. oh god, that's four. Rudy Poo. what does he say? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that, I should say uh, Tony what, Todd what? again. Uh oh, <laughs> uh
3: oh. Boo, who you cool? Listen to Candyman. Come with me and be
1: immortal. <laughs> what character does TT T. play? Uh, he was one of the hired mercenaries that came in on the other batch. He's Candyman. He's, a He's the one. My, who, oh, okay. Night yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. He
0: says, from the moment we took hostages, we are now mercenaries, and mercenaries. I want my fucking money. He wants like his fucking, like
2: that. Money. My fucking money. Yeah, so yeah. cool. TT wants his fucking money.
0: <laughs> to Hell the Cast, yeah. did you guys ever watch The Practice? Yes because Steve Harris is here he's the sniper guy at the very end who mm-hmm. gets clubbed by mm-hmm. Sean Connery right as he's about to shoot Stanley Goodspeed as he's going to save the day I, wish I always liked him he was probably my favorite guy on the uh, practice so yes happy to see him here in a you know he lasted a long time he almost made it to the end kind of role
1: I really enjoyed back then this cast this kind of like, what was it, Armageddon came out too and that movie was terrible but it had such a good, it had Steve Buscemi, like that whole, that crew, uh, Michael Clark Duncan, like all those guys that were really good, but the movie was just
0: bad. Well, and I mean, the best song you've ever heard. Yes. Yeah. Aerosmith. Woof. <laughs> oh my God. You do want to close your eyes and you also <laughs> want to close your ears because you can hear it, baby.
2: And uh, you, you just it's want not it to that stop. that
0: It could be worse. But, Heck of a cast, heck of an action movie, uh, a couple of unnecessary car chases that don't really justify themselves. <laughs> it reminded uh, me
1: of a John Landis movie where it's just all of a sudden there's a car chase. Yeah, the Humvee chase. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
0: I like, I love the Humvee chase for two reasons. One, they basically do it again in Bad Boys 2, right. and that's hilarious. Uh, but also, I love the Humvee chase through San Francisco because it's like shades of Dirty Harry and, all those other seventies movies that took advantage of the height, you know, and even mm. isn't basic instinct in San Francisco. Yes. So, I mean, it's just, it's in the fabric of all my favorite movies, but I want to say there was at one point where Michael Bay says to the producer, no, we can't cut this car chase because I really need to justify good speed talking to Sean Connery for 30 seconds. Hmm. So we need to have this whole car chase so they can have their 30-second moment. (laughs) It's beautiful. Love it.
1: And what makes it better is uh, I read somewhere that they had to get 5,000 signatures anywhere in the city where they wanted to film (laughs) in the streets within a two-block radius. So every time they had to do another two blocks, they had to get another 5,000 signatures of the residents to let them do it.
0: That's amazing.
1: And I'm thinking, holy crap, the amount of driving around in the city they did. Just for those car chases to be a Michael Bay movie.
0: But Connery. Sean yeah. Connery. This is first, a, Connery. This is his first appearance on the show, I believe, right? I believe, yeah. So you get your first Michael Bay, you get your first Sean Connery at the same time. Now, for uh, your first Sean Connery, I mean, the, the question everyone has on their minds after watching this movie and knowing you're watching this movie, has she lost his sex appeal? I mean, for me... He's
2: kind of hot. <laughs> that hair though. You're just saying that cuz of the meme I sent earlier. Yeah. I'm going to cut this popsicle
1: <laughs> up with a knife.
0: But seriously, uh <laughs> well, what do you think? Is Sean Connery <laughs> as cool as you thought he was going to be in a movie? Not really. What? And he's fine. I mean, he's fine. You have unrealistic standards.
2: I mean, no, he's yeah, he's totally cool. He's not as cool as as uh, Clooney in um uh, what you call it? Well, it's different. It's cla- he's what's classier. that movie I'm thinking of? Batman. Dust Dawn.
1: Yeah. Oh, Dawn*. D- yeah. But he's classier than Seth from *Dust Dawn*. Like this, he's proper.
0: He rolls the wrong way through a furnace to open the door, and succeeds.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah. Do you know about the Wendy theory with this movie? No. Oh no. What is it? Please tell me. It might improve Well, it. it's not
1: really a Wendy theory. It's more like a conspiracy theory. Which is? Which to Dan is the same thing. Um, supposedly, it's implied. Uh, it's pronounced supposedly. Supposed- I always say supposedly. I'll never no, change No, that it.
2: is the correct pronunciation. I was oh, okay. talking with you. Go okay. ahead.
1: <laughs> um, he's supposed to be either an homage, a reference, or an exact pull of James Bond now. Like, oh. he's been incarcerated for however many years. Makes sense. And that's like the the internet uh, mystery, like, ooh, is it done on purpose? Now, this they is really
2: No, this is just me, because I'm gonna ask a stupid question. Mm-hmm. He played... He played, he James, played Bond. James Bond, right? He was the first Bond. He right. is okay. Bond. To he is James Bond.
0: An entire generation of men and women.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they're saying like either the the either Michael Bay or Bruckheimer whoever kind of put that easter egg in there that it's possible that he might be. Yeah. James Bond.
0: Yeah. I don't think that that's a conspiracy theory or an easter egg. I think that's like the entire reason they cast him.
1: Right. Without saying the name.
0: Right. It was a freebie. like uh, It's like uh, if you guys watched the Rescue Rangers movie uh, that just yeah. came out on Disney+. Plus. I heard there's
1: a shit ton of cameos. In this it's
0: a whole mess. It's the Lego yeah. movie, but it's not trying to sell me Legos. It's just like right. keep subscribing because you like all these things. But uh, it's, it's like worth Ready it. Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah, it's worth it for Ugly Sonic alone. It's a yeah. real fun movie. But <laughs> there's a part in there where uh, they talk about like knockoff cartoons. And so this is... Sean Connery being put through the knockoff machine. And like mm. they're not gonna say he's James Bond because then they have to pay the Broccoli family. But he's right. British intelligence with an SAS background. And he's been incarcerated since nineteen seventy two. Like Yeah. It is, is that like
2: when he stopped making Bond yeah, movies? It's hundred yeah. yeah. percent
0: James Bond. Yeah. His last appearance in the canon as James Bond is nineteen seventy one, and then he's arrested in seventy two. It's amazing. That's Which funny. is
1: cool. I like it. That's funny. I'm a I'm a I'm a fan.
0: But you know, if he had talked to his daughter and said additional dialogue that's not in the movie <laughs> never <laughs>
3: mind.
1: And the carpets changed every time he turned around.
0: Yeah, because that that you know, that happens when you shoot on location over a long period of time.
1: It's true. Is this before or after he did uh Dragonheart? Did you ever see Dragonheart, where he was the voice of the dragon?
0: I have not seen Dragonheart, but that was the same year. I would have to look at release dates to tell you for sure.
1: Yeah. That's kind of the movie that brought him back. Not not out of retirement, but he had not really done much. He did The Untouchables, I think, was the last one he did, which was early 90s.
0: The Untouchables, uh, by the way, pretty good.
1: Or 89.
0: Pretty good.
1: Oh, I love The Untouchables. That's a great movie. Because he
0: did Hunt for Red October. Don't forget about that one. In ninety. Oh, that's right. That was nineties. He did a few in the mid nineties, and then like he does Finding Forrester in two thousand, and that's about mm-hmm. it. I mean, he did leave Extraordinary Gentlemen, but
1: mm. yeah, I don't think anybody saw that.
0: Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess he didn't really go away. The Old Vengers is that what it should be called? Yeah, right. But huh. but yeah, he. I mean, this is really toward the end and probably his last big action set piece movie
3: mm-hmm.
0: so there I you like go his presence
1: on the screen he kind of i don't know with that hair he kind of i don't know he i think he was pretty badass in this movie
0: he seemed threatening with the long hair like kind of a yeah. rabid animal a little bit like it you know if you're michael myers if your friend and mine uh hannibal had ever busted through you know, a two-way glass, and been like, oh, Douglas, or whatever, you know? Right. (laughs) (laughs) He looked
1: like if Rob Zombie directed 007. (laughs) 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 It's like, here's my my, uh, version of James Bond. He looks like
2: Michael Myers. He actually reminded me of Lecter a bit. Yeah. With his, you know, like, he was kind of, you know, for being in prison for so long, you know, pretty cultured. He didn't lose his
0: culture. Right. Or his accent. Uh, but yeah, that's the thing with uh, Silence of the Lambs' success in 91. We're going to see those ripples all the way through the early 2000s.
1: Yeah. What's funny is when I watched uh, the first Suicide Squad movie, the one with Will Smith, mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. they did with Will Smith was stolen from this movie. <laughs> like, oh, that's funny. He He was the Sean Connery character you know he was incarcerated they went to him with the proposal you know to keep his family or his daughter safe he, the ultimatum was he had to see her one more time or something like it was like almost the same exact uh, character and he was also a badass smacking people
0: yeah that movie was a slap in the face for me I oh didn't God. make it very far in not, not
1: much has changed yeah right oh. no that movie was terrible the second one was in.
0: Eh. Well, Silence of the Lambs has a long reach uh, into the mid to late 90s and beyond. You know what else has a long reach, guys, is the Hans Zimmer music mm. from this movie, which he's actually credited as like the number two music guy. So this has got to yeah. be pretty early in his run. But the main theme to this movie, that dun, dun, da dun dun, dun, dun mm-hmm. I mean, that's Black Hawk Down later. That is and Pirates of the Caribbean. I heard a lot of that in this music too. Well, and then uh, Command and Conquer Generals. I don't know if you guys ever played early two thousands computer games, but the music in that is a hundred percent ripped off of Hans Zimmer, right. and it's more The Rock than it is Black Hawk Down. So huh. this was like a defining piece for ten years. Yeah. Also, Battlefield nineteen forty two had a total conversion mod called Desert Combat also borrowed very heavily from this exact score. So
1: there was one song he did that kind of had this kind of feel that they used for two decades for movie trailers. <laughs> it was I don't know what movie it originally it might have been either Hunt for Red October or Crimson Tide, but I remember in the tr- Crimson Tide trailer and I was like, "Oh, this is like one of those survivor uh Rocky 3 type montage" songs that they're going to use constantly. I think the Aliens uh, had a, song, a score in the Aliens movie that they used forever in trailers. And people are like, isn't that from Aliens? And it's like in another movie. So it's like these guys, they, they I don't want to say they're one trick ponies, but sometimes they just get a sound. Elfman's the same way.
0: Well, oh yeah, we saw oh my kids started watching the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory uh, over the weekend, and from the other room I go that's Danny Elfman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know what they were watching, but I was like, oh, it's Elfman." <laughs> yep. But it's—I mean, we were talking about Hans Zimmer with the Ring, how he would—right? He—he was doing Joker-type stuff before uh, Dark Knight in the Ring. So, yeah, they, I mean, they're musicians. They've got style. They've got riffs and hooks that they like to trot out now and then when it fits. And
2: I was thinking the same thing, Dan. I think every musician. Yeah has a has a, a thing well you have a
1: sound just like whenever you hear a billy joel song you know it's a billy joel song even before you start singing it's just the
2: yeah it's yeah sound. i think yeah when you're when you're writing yeah when you're writing music like for a living like that's all that you do there's like certain intervals that like that you like that are you mm-hmm. like when you're searching for the right note or the right interval you'll you know you're like no that's not what i'm thinking oh yeah oh, there it is mm-hmm. and it's just that that interval that you want to hear because you're writing the song it's your song you can make it sound however you want but l- you get a feel for like intervals that are you that you like right. the ones that your brain is always searching for
1: and then when you're and around too long. and that
2: happens to every yeah. professional musician
1: you get like uh like chili peppers or Metallica, where it's like, yeah, you've been around for forty years, and you're trying
2: to stick to that same sound, but you're just
1: not hitting. You're the not hits even. That you tr- used dude, I'm
2: telling you, it's you're not. It's not even. It's there. It's not even a conscious choice, right? When you're a musician, you just kind of like when you're writing, what's coming to you, or you're trying to find the right note for what you're trying to make. It's just the sound that's in your head. There are certain intervals that your brain wants to hear, and right. and when you're searching for that feeling it's like oh there it is and it happens to be the same interval that's in every other one of your songs nor not maybe not one, but like and that's you've when done you that know you're for sure.
1: movie geek like my son did a project in his music class where they did modern composers mm-hmm. and they were studying John L. Williams and and uh is it Horner uh I think Horner's uh one of the big ones uh Zimmer uh Elfman like they were covering all these guys and I can hear him listening in this music in the other room and I'm just sitting there going like maybe five notes in. I'm like, Oh, like you said, that's, that's Danny Elfman. John L. Williams. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's Jaws. Oh, that's Jaws two. (laughs) That's Rocky three. Jaws two. Jaws two. Oh
0: man. So George, I want to talk to you a little bit about one particular action set piece from this movie. And that is the shower room scene. Uh, who would have thought mm-hmm. that a Michael Bay Action movie would have a shower scene right and this one this one's it. uh Are you familiar with the imagery from that scene at all? had you did that seem familiar to you from anywhere else the Because that was scene? the iconic that's like the the scene that lived on beyond this movie. You could forget a yeah. majority of what happens after and a majority of what happens before. But from the time you've got seals on the ground and force recon up above and the two commanders are shouting e- at each other in the most like Jack Nicholson way they possibly can. Hmm. Sir, I cannot honor that or, you know, I can't, blah, blah, blah. you do it. Yep. You do it. You oh, do da, 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 da. Okay. The shower, the shower scene. scene. Okay.
2: I thought you were talking about the scene when Sean Connery's in the shower. Oh, <laughs> no. I honestly thought that that's what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I no, I don't know what you're talking there, about, guys. dude. That's Great. It really is? Yeah, it's Good like I may sure. have seen it in like Tom and Jerry, maybe I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but no, the 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 epic <laughs> shootout in the shower. Yes,
2: stalls. the 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 standoff. The I don't know. Is it? I believe that's from. They do that in the Matrix. Is as it well, unacceptable right? to call it a Mexican standoff? Because that's what it was. Is what it's it turned into It's Like a, into, like a tomb, right? tombstone. How's that? It's
1: a tombstone, tombstone standoff. No,
2: nah, it wasn't. No, no, it wasn't like that. The OK Corral? No. No. Oh well. Like the yeah. alley, alleyway shootout. The alleyway, yeah. Not yeah. at the not at the end. The end was not like that. No. The yeah, the middle when everything the started the infamous to roll. tombstone shootout, which is the shootout. The yeah. Way. That's just you know the, the standoff. The you standoff. Know, it's, it's the three spider Spider-Mans pointing at each other.
3: <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. Yes, absolutely, Dan. That, that, I have seen that lots of times. That since scene this is
1: imaged in probably The Simpsons and a bunch of other oh, things.
0: 100 yeah. percent. That yeah. thing has endured so much. There is a level based on those shower stalls in the most recent Call of Duty: Modern Warfare that came out nice. like four years ago. <laughs> like it just—that's the,
2: that's the bathroom that the the movie saw should have taken place in. Hmm.
0: Actually. I, uh, a movie saw starring all of those guys in the same situation, just with hacksaws, would have been yeah. a lot more fun.
2: Yeah.
1: If we ever get to watch True Lies, I think that is homaged in True Lies as well.
0: What year is True Lies?
1: Oh, uh, ooh. did we like to watch right True Lies before? We were supposed to watch True Lies, and we didn't. I think True Lies was like I thought it was 94. Oh,
0: 94. Really? Yeah, True is Lies actually predates Oh, Iraq. so they
1: did it first. Well, if so where's that originally from?
0: We're just going to have to find... I mean, it's the, okay, Corral, right? It's the... Yeah. It's that thing where it's like your pride is overriding your survival instinct. Mm. Because you realize as that, you know, outgunned... out. I mean, shit, you could go back to the 300 Spartans mm. and be like, you know you're going to die here, but your duty trumps your will to survive. That's just war, man.
1: Yeah. Can we connect that to a uh, Texas the Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre? <laughs> we probably could. <laughs> uh the remake maybe. Between the Pieta and the
2: <laughs> Well, didn't Michael Bay direct it?
1: He produced. They produced the yeah. remake, yeah. Yeah. He came up a few times.
2: There you go. We connected it. There Boom. you go.
1: 6 degrees of Texas Chainsaw.
2: Easy. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom.
0: <laughs> Next please. You didn't like Nicolas Cage when he was under pressure with the baby doll gas bomb thing.
1: That's that was a funny scene. I like that scene.
2: That's good. Stuff. <laughs> Do you know?
0: Okay, so the reason why
2: I asked you guys to like kind of go first when you asked you me like, shit well, on it. "What did I think?" Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not because I wanted to shit on it. I wanted to know because I got to the end of this movie and I felt like it was. I felt the same way I felt when I watched Robocop. You didn't get which it. Which was like I hate it, but I probably am not getting it, and I kind of just wanted to know if you guys are taking this how seriously you guys are taking this movie.
1: Right, right. Because was my answer correct? Then it was fun. I don't know. I it was I mean, fun popcorn. I, movie. Dude,
2: I'm telling you, I've been to like Lambo, and th- I saw more cheese in this movie. Oh yeah, it's nineties cheese. Like it was That's so government cheese right there. So cheesy.
0: I mean, if you don't love the part where they say you know he's still alive and the hostages are fine and everybody starts (laughs) applauding and cheering audibly you're not gonna like any 90s action movies because that happens over and over and i i I don't like it it's not good but it's like a trope of the 90s you just have to deal with if you want to ever like a movie from the 90s
2: oh no i was no dude like but like, like you said, Trav, with the car chase, like it's like a Landis car chase. Mm-hmm. Like you had like an old lady crossing the street during the car chase. That was just like, oh come
0: on, oh come. You were aff- required by the Actors Guild to have an old lady crossing the street. That is a requirement. Dude, they had,
2: they had, they uh, had a bunch of guys in wheelchairs crossing the street. Can- I'm like, come on, Dan. Can we watch The Untouchables next week? I mean,
0: it was like I'm watching the, it.
1: That scene in the train station is so good. Oh my god! And, and that's it a good series exactly movie. He's but about. yeah, yes. that
0: one part that you're thinking of. No, let's not watch it <laughs> yet because it's getting a 4K. And I let okay. my in-laws borrow my Blu-ray, and I'll probably never get that back. So gotcha. I'm, the trolley driver.
2: <laughs> the trolley driver. Have you ever seen
1: guys. Speed? We probably should have watched Speed first. I don't know,
2: maybe. Because no, no. that's
1: like the quintessential.
2: I haven't seen Speed. I'm sure
1: I 90s haven't. action film that's not outlandish like this, but is still outlandish. I to don't you. know.
0: I you know the thing about The Rock though, versus this movie that George hasn't seen. Uh, the thing about The Rock is <laughs> it is an action movie first, and it makes sure to hit all the high points of the tropey. You know, we got to have explosions. We got to have guys who should be dead. Just thrown around by explosions into big pools of water and we have to have a mine cart chase because reasons. Right. We have to have the huge action set piece that is, you know... Uh, Alcatraz. Alca- yeah, just... Well, I was going to say the, the prison, but yeah, Alcatraz. Right. The entire island becomes a character and all these things. But at the same all, time,
2: all of the all of the bad guys have to monologue instead of just killing. Yes. Oh, you if you're not monologue. monologuing, oh, like, you don't know what's going oh on. Oh <laughs> my God, you need like the bad guys need to just stop monologuing and kill Nicolas Cage already. But like, every time Nicolas Cage is vulnerable to be killed, they start monologuing again. Oh my God! It's kind of like
0: you. I mean, that's I mo- kill that's the bus Movies driver. though. I mean, no,
2: now like now, listen, I'm not like. I'm not complaining. It's not like I'm just like, oh, this was the most terrible movie I've ever seen. It was pretty bad. But like, you, you're not, you can't, like, it's not a masterpiece. Like, no. it's it's a popcorn movie. It's it's it's, movie. it's supposed to be silly. But
0: the thing that makes it different than most popcorn movies, the thing that grounds it more so, is the thread with Ed Harris's character and his motivation. <laughs> Dude, don't even... <laughs> Grounding. It's not grounded yes. at all. Now, the
1: grounding in the 90s, the thing that keeps this movie grounded happened a few times in the 90s based on the Gulf War. They took soldiers that were taken advantage of, they took the mentality, the military mentality, and they show that these guys are human and they are not expendable and they're, they're fathers and brothers and dads that they basically just use and abuse. And they use that a few times in a lot of the nineties movies where as the subplot as to why the guy's doing what he's doing or whatever that to me humanizes it a bit. It's not like it's a super villain. Like, uh, you know, you see in, in a superhero movie and it's not as ridiculous in diehard where you're like, why are these Germans doing, were they German? Austrians?
2: Why are they doing this? Why are they terrorists? What are they okay, doing? Okay, i f- I feel sympathetic to those soldiers and their families. I do. Like it was pretty weird seeing the soldiers as the bad guys,
0: but,
1: but no, they were no, justified I, in I, a way. Were they're they're they not, justified? See, yeah, the thing justified is, no, in their mind, in it, their
2: mind, they were justified. All right. Well, you knew their motivation. at right. least. Their motivation was clear, and it was a good. It's a good thing to want to uh give soldiers a proper burial and take care of their families and right. you know that that's a good thing that we all should probably agree with i think um but like if you're trying to get this message out write a book like yes uh, well, like and, go on go
0: on joe rogan's podcast like <laughs> this is the symptom I, of 1996 right right where we no longer have the soviet union and we don't yet know who we can fling our action movie heroes up against yet. And so instead of trying it to make... the
1: beginning of the offensive, too. Like, your villains shouldn't be this certain race or this, because you didn't want to be stereotypical. So it was the beginning of that, where they were kind of, all right, we've done the terrorists. We've done this. It's been very, like, stereotypical. We need to kind of find a different way to create these action movies without offending people. Well, and so it is in the, the shadow of,
0: of Oklahoma City which right. for the first time Homegrown. in a lot of people's lives, you had to look at somebody who looked just like you right. doing these atrocious things. And, and that's a whole different story. But
2: that's actually, um, I was, uh, I scrolled across this thing on Facebook, which was like, what was the earliest news story you remember? Right, And that was it. The Oklahoma City Yeah. That's, a, that's a, the earliest news story I remember. And I was like, was it that or was it Princess Die? But that happened first. Right. But
1: to me with this movie, what, what they do right is the whole time from the very beginning they show, even though he's the main villain, they show his compassion. Like, when they go and they steal the the uh, the vapor, the, the poison. He says he's sorry. They're not shooting any of these guys to death. They're oh, all right. getting darts. But you're like halfway into that siege before you realize they're getting darts. Right. Uh, you know before they take over Alcatraz, he goes to the little girls, the school kids, and they're like, go tell your teacher, get in the bus and get out of here. Like, they just show him, even to the very end, where he screws up the coordinates on purpose. Like It's just like, he doesn't want to do this. He's just trying to get his point across. Well, and it's an interesting
0: thing for them to build him up as this compassionate anti-hero, which I had on my notes that I thought George was going to love an anti-hero, but I guess he couldn't see past the fluff. But anyway. Uh, the thing about hey, I liked him. The way that they set up <laughs> it, I like the Don't put words <laughs> I, in my I knew, mouth. I know you would. Uh, the the thing that they do well and or don't do well, depending on how you look at it, how it ages. This idea that he is this compassionate guy with a political message, but to get his point across, he has to bring in Tony Todd and his other. Oh no, yeah. that's too many Tony Todd's. Oh God, he's here again. <laughs> So you get Tony Todd and the, and the crazy-eyed guy, whatever his name is, the, the sidekick. Right. So you have to rely on these bad guys to get your point across. And so you get this kind of cop-out thing where you never have to make Ed Harris go all the way bad guy. Right. But instead it's the decisions he made and the people he brought in who take over and go all the way bad guy. It's an interesting thing. I don't know if it's successful, but it's certainly a move to keep your hero anti-hero me. from getting gross. Yeah. Because they him make him dirty.
1: a bad guy, but and he's not really doesn't have redeeming qualities, but you kind of feel bad for him but you still think he's a piece of shit for doing this. Like I think they did it enough to where uh like when he says it's it's done. It's that they called my bluff basically. Yeah. And then the, the younger guys are like, Nin and We bluff no. I've given they my called t-. it the mission's over. Yeah, mission's over. And they're like, No, we've we've ruined our entire lives cashing in on this. We want our money and we gotta see this through. So then they become the bad guys and he does he say I mean, you kinda get that kind of storyline in some you get it in Spider Man sometimes with like one villain will see the error of their ways and you know, kinda Fight for the the good side or whatever. You'll get Mm -hmm. it in the Batman movie sometimes. So it's like, if it's done right, it redeems the character to an extent. doesn't fully redeem them, but at least you're you're seeing their redemption in their own mind, I guess. I don't know how to explain it. I I love redemption stories.
0: You could almost say it's like Caesarian in that he Hmm. never actually has a chance for redemption. He is just murdered by the people around him. Yeah, which is yeah, interesting that they, they the the don't end. try to redeem him, right? There's no moment where he like tries to real quick change the coordinates of the last missile to hit them and take them out, and not anybody. You right. know, he there's none of that. He just kind of they have their little confrontation and he's gone. Game over. Yeah. It's just to me, it's the little the little snippets,
1: the school kids, the the uh, the wherewithal to have the guard put the people in the cells and then take over so that they don't mm-hmm. have to manhandle any of the hostages like to me it's just the whole movie kind of shows him in a good enough light to almost like a Darth Vader thing where it's like he he's a he's savable you know he well, might have done bad things but he's savable
0: and he also benefits from Michael Bay and his production staff doing a really good job of producing situations where they can look technically proficient You know, even down Mm. to that initial uh, assault to steal the missiles, right? That is one of the most tightly edited, kind of perfect Mm. action sequences. And like Travis said, if you're not paying attention, if you miss that one beanbag at the beginning, you're thinking they're shooting these guys until the the darts are clear. But it's just, it's tight, it's fast, there's no lag. It's like that smooth, perfect Michael Bay editing he's known for now up until the part where he did a bunch of Transformers movies with too much CGI. Right. Yeah. But like Yeah. That's that's good action cinema, man. Cut any anyway. But he at least
1: redeemed himself when he made Bumblebee. I don't want to go into like a Transformers conversation, but at least with that movie, him producing not directing, he allowed them to do what was right to those characters, and it's a shame that he didn't let other people take over the original four. Because they just got out of
0: hand. I have a feeling Pages we're going to have a very similar conversation about Avatar in a few years.
1: Yeah. Probably. Because Bumblebee is grounded and the other four are not. Even though they're oh my all Oh God.
2: About... We all have different opinions about what grounded means.
1: Grounded, for me, when you're talking about a, a, a fantasy movie or a science fiction movie, even though the things that are happening are crazy and outlandish... like. People being sucked into a book, and now they're you know like Narnia they're getting sucked into a closet, and now they're in this world. well, how grounded are these characters in this world to me, it's fantastical, but they're still regular human beings that are in this world, so
2: does, how grounded does are grounded to you be? mean like people are behaving in a way that is consistent with their characters and consistent with the situations?
1: I think how I'm saying it is more like. Even though it's a fantastical movie,
2: because when I I think of grounded, I think of like saving Private Ryan. Okay.
0: Oh, but see, like, like? it's, that's, a, that's, it's that's, a story. That's real life. It's
2: a, right. It's a story. Exactly. It's a story that didn't I'm really happen. Right. That if, didn't really happen is that a true story that didn't no really that's happened. not the a true story, story happened, but so but that the, is the definition of grounded. okay is that a true story did that really happen no that didn't it's like titanic did it, did it not like yeah, the, the tit- sinking yeah. happened but none to- of those characters are totally were grounded yeah right that's a grounded
1: I'm, story. i'm saying if you're doing a biopic or whatever yes but when you're talking about a movie about giant robots coming from outer space yeah
2: it's it's automatically not grounded
1: right but when you think of like <laughs> a me. when you think of a christopher nolan batman
0: yeah, Chris Pine on excellent. It's grounded
1: in reality. He sit there and he says, "Okay, if this guy he, were real, yeah." So to me, that's, when I th-
2: but that's that's pushing it. That's yes. right on the edge. But
1: that's what I'm saying with grounded. Like when you watch the Transformers movies, they're ridiculous. Right. But when you yeah. watch Bumblebee, you're almost like, "Okay, if this were to happen in maybe, real life, I, maybe I have to this see this is Bumble- what it would look like.
2: Maybe I have to see Bumblebee. I mean, uh, just the th- just the thought of what I know of Transformers." Yeah. It reminds me of Power Rangers. But go ahead.
1: I I suggest sitting with your daughter and watching it. Cool. Well,
0: and the the thing about grounding is, you know, grounding can happen in degrees, right? Like yes, Saving Private Ryan is a grounded film. Uh absolutely, right? Like mm-hmm. nothing in that movie is fantastical except that it didn't happen. But is right. that grounded or is that just, you know, uh fiction Histor is that just historical fiction, like historical fiction? Yeah. Do you require it to be in a in historical realistic? No, artistic?
2: no, it doesn't have to be historical. No, this is
0: where the grades of or the shades of grounding would come in, right? Like right. we, if we wanted to, if we had like a chart I, in front of us, we could pick apart and try to find exactly where it is that George is no longer grounded. And it sounds like probably Batman. Uh, Batman Begins, maybe, or um, <laughs> yeah, Bat- Batman. Or is, Batman is maybe is
2: the edge. That's the very, very edge. The, it blurs the line.
0: But then like Seven, is Seven I grounded?
2: Say, I, no, I would say that that's pretty
0: grounded. Because remember, th- we went through a couple of things where it's like, well, how could he have possibly known that this, this, and that? Okay, mm-hmm. just go with it. He's just, just... It. but I mean, you Silence don't have to Lambs just go with it. There's in... another one. It's yeah, sounds Lambs is, is less grounded than Manhunter. Texas Chainsaw Massacre,
2: very grounded
0: yeah the original one yeah again rather rather grounded
2: if this were to
1: happen this is probably what it would look like even if you watch a godzilla (laughs) you said
2: that about the fly right (laughs) if this were to happen this
1: is how it would uh, happen that's what i'm thinking like you could have the fly where it's like ridiculous amount of science fiction cgi and this and that and it's never explained or he's
0: literally a fly and he's buzzing around and he's talking as a little fly and instead they're just like oh he just falls apart
1: they explain yeah. that the mutation of the cells makes you so We dis- don't have to rehash it. I'm but just I'm just saying, saying. <laughs> like, to me, that's at least if this were to happen, if you were to mutate because you mixed with a fly, they at least did it realistically and you wasn't just a fly head with a human body walking around. Okay, like, to me, I,
2: dude, again, you're <laughs> like, they did it realistically, and I'm like, that's, I that's have the, no idea if that's how it would happen. Yeah, I don't that's know. That's the word I'm,
1: I'm looking for. Realistic fantasy. <laughs>
2: Uh, okay, yeah, we just have different levels. Like if you watch the Muppet, if grounded, you watch a Muppet it's movie,
1: and the Muppets are walking around in New York City and they're with human beings, you're sitting there going, "This would never fucking happen." Dude, they're, they're a, Muppet,
2: a Muppet Christmas Carol was very grounded, <laughs> but you I can't thought.
1: it can't be grounded because they're
2: Muppets. I, I know. <laughs> I don't know. I no, know. I mean, it's just this is an interesting conversation about like what does grounded mean for for each person? Because like it's Terminator. Different.
1: The movie, the Terminator is movie, it's not grounded at all. No, but in a in a realistic fantasy way, they try to make it realistic to the viewer of how they covered these endoskeletons with fake tissue, how it degrades. Like Jim Cameron takes his time to say, okay, they're going to take on shrapnel, they're going to take on damage. This is what that would look like if these things really existed in real life. To me, that's grounded.
2: Okay, that that to me is just having explanation for your, you know, all your cool effects that you do. Yeah, you could also argue that that is just
0: like consistent internal logic.
2: Yeah, and that's fine. A lot of lot of places have that. Like Star Wars has that. Every time someone has a question about, like, hey, how does this happen? It's like some nerd comes up with something that makes it okay. It's like, okay, you know, it's grounded because this nerd said that that's how that works. But that's a good example because if if you look at
1: science fiction, you can look at aliens, an alien, and -hmm. then you can look at Star Wars. Both science fiction, both space, both aliens, whatever. But... Ridley Scott's Aliens, much more grounded. Jim Cameron's (laughs) Aliens is way more grounded than Star Wars. So it's like, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're going to do it and you want it to be realistic.
2: Yeah. So I think what Dan was saying makes sense that, like, you know, for a movie that takes place in space in the future, how grounded is it? You know, it's right. like kind of, there's levels well, of Well, you can it. have
1: human beings wearing masks and tunics, or you can have a real creature that looks like it was organic. Yeah. To me, that's the difference.
2: You know, if, you know, for a movie where a robot transforms into a bunch of
0: different things, how grounded is it? Right. Yeah, for a movie where they're gonna send an entire squad of people to go save this one guy to get him out of the war because all his brothers are dead, oh, and he's all made up, and none of this ever happened, <laughs> versus right. something like Band of Brothers, Where it's just like a an adaptation of, you know, real events for the most part.
2: Yeah. I imagine that that saving Private Ryan could have could have happened, but it would have been a lot less eventful. You know, it would have been like, hey, listen, this dude's brothers all died in the war and like he's the last one. So like send him back to his mother in Kentucky or wherever they're from, right? Right. And you know basically instead you're going to get 14 more
1: soldiers killed just to find them no 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 no, no. in the
2: re- in real life of it would just be like you know private ryan you're going home and you would get on a plane and go home right you know but they were like that would be battle, the, that would be so. like the real life version of that yeah, it depends how that on how far up the, the line he was
0: if you watch band of brothers uh, especially the bestone stuff and you imagine like yeah. trying to get one of those guys home you might need to send in Tom Hanks. Yeah, if they're if they're
2: the, dug in like an re- Alabama tick. Yeah, but the really the really grounded version of uh, Saving Private Ryan that I described would be a really boring movie. Mm. And I have heard a lot of things about Band of Brothers, Dan, and all of them good.
1: Oh, so it's at a some point, hell of a show. I That's would really show. like to. Uh, That's a good
2: binge to watch. That
0: I did that one, one and The Pacific binge. right before we moved. And I'd never seen the Pacific, but I finally got around to watching it. And yeah, it's not as good as Band of Brothers, but here's my hot take. S- still better than anything I could have made. So mm. go Pacific. It's <laughs> a good standard. <laughs> also, I don't... We talk a lot in the history circles about Verdun, the battle in World War One that is literally as close to hell as humans have ever lived through. Mm. Uh, at least in, in that theater, theater of war. I don't know that the Pacific theater was too far away from that in World War II. Some of those battles are just like, holy shit, Hmm. how did anyone survive mentally through this? And they capture it in the Pacific show a couple of times. So, yeah, it's not fun, but it's really good. But Hmm. not as good as Band of Brothers.
1: Well, I think, would, would Band of Brothers be more of like the the human character story as opposed to is Pacific more of a, or do they build characters as well? Is it more, they
0: still build characters. Uh, but the issue is band of brothers follows that specific group of dudes from like training through. And there's just, you don't get as many lovable attached characters as you do, uh, in band of brothers as you do in Pacific. You, you attach to a few characters and they're wonderfully developed. But it's just on a different level.
1: It's like watching Full Metal Jacket from beginning to end, or watching Full Metal Jacket after boot camp. Exactly. It's still, you're you're just not getting the full background of all yeah. these guys. You still like yeah, Joker.
0: You're happy Joker found a friend. Oh yeah. no, stuff's going sideways. You know, but you just don't have the attachment that you did from Easy Company. But gotcha. Word.
1: Very good. Wow, we had a. We got all that from The Rock.
0: Hey, but the best line in The Rock, I think, is the, and a congressional medal of Jesus. (laughs) That's really good. That's a good line. Also, Uh, I mean, George, you really didn't like it when Nicolas Cage says he doesn't want to bring a a child into the cruel world or whatever. Oh, that was entertaining. And then she says she's pregnant, and he says, well, a lot's happened since
2: then. (laughs) Well, no, she's like, what are you talking about? He's like, he's like well, that's not, well, not at the time. She's like, what are you talking about at the time? That was seven seconds ago. He's like, well, a lot oh, has happened since then. then. That is a classic. So that is true. Good. Classic. That was a very, very good exchange.
1: That's a classic it was... Nicolas Cage scene. I'm sorry. <laughs> when he has that back and forth and he says, well, a lot has happened since then. That is so like classic, him. Yeah. And you don't but, yeah, like it when they're on creating. the park
0: bench and he's like, oh, yes, uh, it's time to leave James Bond. We've really got to go do that thing. Oh yes, he's helping us now. Like it's so good. I mean, granted the thing that follows it is pretty stupid, but like yeah. Fun. It's fun. It's definitely fun.
1: Yeah. Oh, Michael, Michael Bean made a, an appearance in this movie. I didn't know he was in this.
0: Oh yeah, he's all over the until he I mean, I was like, "Holy crap. He's a real good guy. leader until that one part." But he does a good job mm. opposite of Ed Harris, you know, mm. shouting very, you can't handle the truthy back yeah. and forth.
1: Yeah. Well, it was the same time period.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the thing. They're, these movies are not created in a vacuum. They're they're talking to each other, and so. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that kind of that scene didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me.
0: The shower scene.
2: The... No, the scene where the. Uh, Ranking officers. Yeah, go Back and forth. They. Yeah. They. When, when the SWAT team enters Alcatraz through the sewer hole and they, they're surrounded immediately, like, like why would you sentence all your dudes to death? Because they didn't know what they were dealing with.
0: Hi, this is Dan in post. We had an entire conversation about the shower scene earlier and George didn't know the scene we were talking about and faked his way through it and is just now realizing that the most iconic scene in this movie is when the SEAL team fights the Force Recon Marines, which I said explicitly, in the shower stalls. Oh, my God. Huh. Guys, what the hell? Uh, Anyway, back to George figuring it all out right in front of our faces. But, yeah, but, dude, at that point, you just surrender.
1: You have to be the smartest guy in the room, but if you're arrogant, you're not really smartest guy in the room you just
2: yeah i mean i mean i guess you're gonna be dead anyway because like you know that i mean you don't know because the the whole you know whatever f-18s dropping you know super napalm wasn't really we weren't sure if that was even gonna be ready but like chances are you're gonna be dead anyway so maybe it does make a little more sense. I'm kind of thinking through this uh in my head right now. But Think when I was it. watching the scene, I was like, why why is he just not just saying, "All right, you got me. There's no way I'm going to live through this if I start shooting." So or like any of my guys are going to live through this. So let's just surrender and hope that, you know, the government marshals or some, something, yeah, you so know, yeah, exactly, <laughs> something
0: else, you know. Huh. Just tell them I hit you. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I mean
0: no I mean that's the thing it, it, in a lot of ways the shower scene is a more successful version of and this might be controversial a more su- successful version of the Joker fairy scene from the Dark Knight that I've always kind of disliked because mm. in this scenario they have innocence to save but they also have their own side coming with the thermite And so they think that they can, you know, appeal to the humanity and the duty-bound aspects of these Force Recon Marines, not realizing that they're just as dug in in their beliefs as the other. And so you end up with that 300 Spartans kind of situation where, like, you're, you're at a tactical disadvantage and you probably are all going to die, but you refuse to budge. Mm. When you say
2: the bathroom scene, are you talking about that scene?
0: Yeah, the shower room scene where the the, re, the force the, recon the, marines are up top. They have the tactical advantage. That's in a bathroom? It's a Yeah, it's a giant, what's well, it like a shower, giant shower thing.
2: Oh, okay. When you're talking about the shower scene, I thought like
0: earlier when we were talking about the shower the scene. The entire time, talking... I've only been referring to the shootout in the showers. <laughs> I know you uh, okay. thought it was the Sean Connery thing. I thought we cleared that up earlier. <laughs> We'll go to the tape and see. No, You're no, looking no,
2: at no, my not th- no, 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 no. George is looking <laughs> no, at my no, ass. I'm talking about when, <laughs> when they, when they strip. The, what's the guy's name? Who is? Oh God, I really should have. This is uh, the first time you've seen this. I should uh, have I, the, I should have the list. Of actors' names, well, if you and need the technical names. advisor, that's Harry freezing. <laughs> no, yeah, we we stop.
1: <laughs> Just pause the technical. Yeah, advisors. we stopped the uh, costume supervisors. We Gene always Tyson. leave
2: the credits up on the te- <laughs> on the television screen so that we can see like the main actors and uh, characters' names as we're talking about them. Failed okay, miserably. but all right. So Epic back film. to the bathroom scene. I thought earlier, not the Sean Connery in the shower scene. The shower scene I thought was when. After the main bad guy says, you know, it, it, it's, it's over, like we bluff, they called it, it's over. Mm-hmm. And then they strip him of his leadership and basically take over and they get in like a standoff, like, like a coup. Mexican standoff yeah. type thing. I thought that was in a shower. May- maybe and it wasn't in a shower, to, but to I was like, I man. wasn't paying attention to the surroundings at that point during that scene so when he said the shower you scene were you know you know when they had like their guns pointed at each other and i'm like okay yeah yeah, yeah the scene at the end no you the entire time i've been talking the about end.
0: the navy seals coming oh up through God. the drain in the floor with john mcginley's double tricky motion detector that you think you blocked it but you in oh, fact just set it off okay. and you've got the elevated position for the force recon marines by the way all right well that makes more sense the force recon marines who look exactly like the marines that end up showing up in half-life a couple of years later. Um I mean this movie visually inspired the next 10 years of military stuff. Up until Black Hawk let's Down. Let's talk
2: Let's talk about the assistant production coordinator John Labib. <laughs> yeah, he did a great he's job on the
1: screen right now. He did he a, did a great, great job those and, bricks and the great. second
2: uh the second second assistant director uh Darren Ravetti. You what can't say enough sarcastic. about
1: the B
0: team. The they script did a great job.
1: Karen and Janine Yep, they, Karen they, and Janine. They had a task. Janine Bird, wasn't yeah, she? They yeah. had to keep Nicholas Cage
2: on point and on book. That's true. They had a I'm very sure hard. they had a very tough job. All right, so we're just reading the random people's <laughs> names off the screen now,
0: which What are we watching you know. next week, Travis? I don't know.
1: I guess is is it the uh the the third or second movie from the triumvirate that you sent please, me. Please, <laughs>
0: please be a good movie. Oh my please god, be George! I don't know what to do. I think because after sometimes... how well this wins, uh, I think the one um, you could say the most prestigious of the movies we talked about. Maybe that's <laughs> the one to bring out next. Uh,
1: yeah, that's what I was gonna say.
0: All right, so we're watching
2: a movie. We're
1: watching a movie that, uh. I hope you like because I don't want you quitting. I hope I like it too, but sometimes you gotta you gotta break a few eggs. Before I you didn't make an hate. I'm the, I saying. didn't
2: hate this either. I didn't hate it. There, you know, it's okay. It's, I'm honestly,
1: I, I'm almost thinking we should do a Friday Thirteenth season of Nicolas Cage movies just to, <laughs> just to break your balls. <laughs> Starting That'll with be fun. Moonstruck.
2: <laughs> uh, that'd be fun.
1: Yeah, we'll
2: we'll watch his career blossom, and then you'll appreciate him. Like or a f- like a fine wine, dude. <laughs> there is an episode of Community where they take a class called Nicolas Cage: Good or Bad, <laughs> Good Actor or Bad Actor. It's a hilarious, I love it, uh, episode. And yeah, we should definitely do that. All right. Well, Nicholas Cage is not in this movie. We're oh watching. darn! But he will be in a
1: couple in the future. Oh shit Darn it. So we're going to watch uh,
2: the ever so awesome movie, The
1: Prestige. Did you ever see that? Movie? Oh,
2: Dan of the most prestigious. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there it is. It's called The Prestige. We had three
1: movies on the list, and I just couldn't remember which way we were going.
2: Uh,
0: oh, Dan, want, you're you silly. Quitting. Now, are you familiar with the, a movie the called The Prestige?
2: Absolutely not.
0: Okay. Well, let's just leave it at that. Maybe don't should read I, the credits when it I, starts.
2: Should I guess what it's about? Yeah. Probably a guy in a leather jacket. Big old machine <laughs> like a, gun. Like a trench coat. And a machete. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah,
0: let's we'll uh, find spoiler out. Spoiler alert, I have not seen this movie either. Ooh, oh, cool. boy. So. I hope it has a lot of Jalo references. <laughs> and I hope it is subtitled. Oh, gravy. In Mandarin. I'll take Mandarin. <laughs> I like their oranges. I hope it is subtitled <laughs> in Mandarin. Well, I'm uh, excited now. I forgot that Travis hasn't seen this either. Yeah, I, seen it.
1: I know of it, but I haven't actually sat down and watched it. It's kind of like a The Country for Old Men, because uh, I knew about that movie. I knew you what just it was, haven't seen but I had never sat down and watched it. So. All
2: right, cool. Well, I'm excited. Yeah. And I've been uh, listening to our podcast a little bit lately, which is something I normally don't do, but I just got new AirPods. Nice. Um, so, um, whenever our episodes end they kind of end a little abruptly so I just want to like this time say goodbye to the listeners uh, okay. and just be like hey <laughs> thanks for listening episode's over okay So well we should actually uh, you know tell them to go to our Patreon once we have it <laughs> yeah, well Dan always does that but it's always <laughs> right. like afterwards sometimes it just ends a little abruptly thank you for listening listeners that's true does. we appreciate Just it like mid sentence and then he's like thank
0: you for listening to the remedial film class podcast as always you can find us at facebook.com slash remedial film and you can email us remedial film pod at com. we'll be back next week with Christopher Nolan's The Prestige and George has no idea it's his new favorite movie and if he hates it he's fired